Well, we're going to keep things rather brief. We have a lot to get to today. As mentioned, my name is Daryl Temple. I have the privilege of uh, co-leading alongside of my wife and a handful of leaders, this beautiful church. And um, man, what we're about to embark upon this morning really is what makes this time special, right? The opportunity to bless our community, to bless this city um, is extraordinary. It's extraordinary. And we can only do this, of course, by um, your generosity, but the example that Jesus left for us. Did we not get the greatest gift? Would you guys pay attention to that song um, that we were singing? What, what is, Emmanuel, oh come Emmanuel. Do you, like, do you let those lyrics get in your heart? They will forever ruin you. And in essence, because of what we've been given uh, from God, um, we're able to give back. We're able to give, maybe not as extraordinarily as God gave to us in his son Jesus, but certainly a measure uh, never the least. Um, we've been talking about the subject of Advent appropriately. Uh, November 27th, uh, Advent started, and I'm not going to get into um, defining that again. I feel like I've done that for the last two Sundays. So um, for the sake of time, for the sake of what we're going to get to, I'm going to move rather quick today. I'm going to start off with a passage of Scripture that we ended with uh, last Sunday, and that's Psalms 41 through 2. It's probably going to be here on the screen, but if you are here, um, we read this passage and talked a little bit about it as, uh, um, as kind of defining for us the right way to wait on the Lord. That's what we use this passage um, for or to do. Here, here's the Psalmist David. He said, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. Now, it's crystal clear that the trouble and distress the psalmist seems to be facing here had, had plunged him into what he would define or categorize as a horrible pit, a, a horrible state, if you would. I think it's a literal pit, um, but it feels like that, right? A metaphor. He, he likens this pit to being dark, and he also says that he kind of feels stuck in a, a miry clay. I think one translation uh, puts it, the ESV says a miry bog. I don't even know what that is. But uh, all we need to know is that it's not a good place. This is not a good place. It's not a happy place. Um, it doesn't appear as though he can work his way out of this situation either. Um, it's unclear uh, what has brought him to this impasse. But he's there nevertheless. Now, it's important to, in a way, contextualize this moment uh, just a bit. Because David is not passively waiting here as we might think or we might imagine. Or even maybe um, you've been in a similar state where you have, at one point or another in your relationship, in your walk with God, have waited, you know, maybe in a... A, a quiet room, you know, darkened with Hosanna music going on in the background. I don't know, but this is not what David's doing. David is passionately pursuing the Lord's rescue. Now we know that because he uses the word cry. The word cry here means to call out for help, and it's not just like this muted, silent call out for help. It's actually more closely to the original definition, a scream. <laughs> so if you could imagine with me, as awkward as this may be for some people here, um, Psalms 40 gives us the picture of David yelling, possibly, 
at the top of his lungs for help. Does that sound like anybody's prayer closet these days? I hope it does. The point is this is that David is anything but calm. He is anything but casual here in Psalms 40. He's calling out for the Lord's help with a, with a measure of uh, desire and dare I say, for people who don't like this word, intensity, right? Um, there's a longing in David's heart and he uh, verbally kind of processes this state that he's in with a uh, amount of volume, you know? There's, there's volume to this, this cry in David's heart. And the thing I want to encourage us in is, is that waiting patiently doesn't always involve or mean waiting silently. The point, I guess, that the author is making, I'd like to make this morning, is that this is not the kind of waiting we like do when we're trying to top the gas tank off at the gas station, right? Hopefully you're not out there yelling at the top of your head, why doesn't this thing go faster? No, this, that's not what we do, right? Um, it's, this is not the kind of waiting that we do, um, this is kind of, not the kind of waiting that we do while standing in the checkout line at the grocery store when the lines are backed up, even though I'd like to scream at the top of my lungs sometimes. Um, this is the type of waiting husbands do in their car while their wives are in-store shopping. <laughs> no, just, just, just a joke there. I'm glad it went over well. Um, no, this is, I'm in trouble, God. <laughs> I'm in trouble, God. And, and I need your help. Anybody there, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody, can, can you in this season of your life resonate with the Psalms? Man, I can. But more importantly, could you with me imagine or picture God bending down to your affliction? Like God shortening the distance, right, between your troubles and God's rescue from those troubles. Could you, could you picture that with me? Well, ultimately we don't necessarily need to look any further in our minds and the picture that we develop needs to go no further than that of what Jesus has done for us. Has, am I right? Am I right? I mean, think about this in this light. In the Old Testament here in Psalms 40, God's ear was bent down to David's affliction. But in the New Testament, God's son was sent down for all. It's amazing, right? I mean, do we not get it better? <laughs> like, like, you, I mean, you think about the story of our rescue. It is so glorious. God, in the person of his son Jesus, sent to earth with the mission to rescue us from the pit that we were in. And maybe some are even in this morning. Because that's the reality here, really. We were in a similar place that David is in here, a deep hole darkened by our sinfulness. A horrible pit of which we could have never rescued ourselves from. The need for a savior is even more um, something of a, a near and present and, and dear reality than it was in David's day, but not just a savior that would save us from our sins, of which Christ did, but save us from the penalty of our sin, save us from the presence of sin, and save us from the power of sin. Wow, Imagine that. All three of those things were accomplished in Christ Jesus, in his death, his burial, and resurrection. 
we have been forgiven and we have, the slate has been cleared. We are no longer going to experience the wrath of God because of what Jesus has done, thus eliminating us from having to experience uh, that kind of punishment for our sin. We have also been given uh, a freedom in Christ Jesus that has worked to deliver us from the power of sin, the dominating power of sin. And one day, of course, we are looking forward to that day even so now as we are in Advent, we will be utterly, completely delivered from the presence of sin. Uh, uh, Alistair Begg, a well-known Scottish pastor, said this, as a result of grace, we have been saved from, our sin, from sin's penalties, excuse me. One day we will be saved from sin's presence, and in the meantime, we are being sin, saved, excuse me, by sin's power. So let's just talk about that briefly as we wind down a little bit here. The penalty of sin, <laughs> as I mentioned, the just punishment for our sinfulness was God's wrath. We may not like that, right? I mean, when we start talking about sin in church and God's wrath, everybody gets rather uncomfortable and like, oh my God, let's just, you said sin too many times, but it's true, right? I mean, this is what the Bible teaches us, does it not? But the good news is that the Bible also teaches us that Jesus took that wrath, God's wrath upon himself on Calvary so that you and I wouldn't have to experience for ourselves. Here's Romans chapter five, verse nine. I'm sure it's gonna be on the screen here. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him, Jesus, from the wrath of God. Amen, Paul, I'll take that. I'd rather not experience the wrath of God. I don't know, any takers, any takers? First Thessalonians 5, 9. For God has not disdained us for wrath, destined us for wrath, excuse me, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's one of my favorite all-time passages of scriptures in Ephesians chapter two, one through three. I'm gonna read it after the New Living Translation. I hope that's okay for this well-educated group. Uh, the New Living Translation has um, uh, been put under fire by intellectuals uh, in America, but I like it, and so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it anyways. Um, here is Paul uh, reading from the New Living Translation. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our own sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. The idea that Paul lays out for us here in all of these passages here, and especially in Ephesians chapter two, is that humanity crossed a line. We challenged the boundaries of God, the boundaries that he had set for us. And because of our sin, we miss God's righteous standards. The theologian John Stott said this regarding Paul's words in Ephesians, before God, we were both rebels and failures. I know I'm kind of getting that point across. I'm kind of driving it, ain't I, this morning? We need to drive it, right? And we need to be okay with it. We need to understand that this is who we were prior to Christ. And we need to understand that even though 
by God's definition, we are rebellious and sinful, that even in the throes of that rebellion and that sinfulness, God still chose to break in, right? And do something so powerful. What did he do? He rendered the power of sin powerless. That gets a couple claps. <laughs> so good. So those who were once children of God's wrath are now made in Christ Jesus, children of God. Since power was broken, we were dead, yes, once in our trespasses, sin and sin at one point. Sin was our master. It really was. It, 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 had, it was the power that dominated us at one point. But yet Jesus came and he freed us from that tyrannical master. You may ask, how was this done? Well, let's look no further than Romans chapter 6, 6 through 7. Here's Paul again. We know that our old sinful selves was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Are you reading the same words that I'm reading? The body. Other translations say that the power of sin might be broken. So that we would no longer be enslaved. That's the key word. Enslaved or dominated or controlled by. I am in no way saying that we are not sinful creatures. <laughs> like, don't hear. But, but we are no longer to be enslaved or dominated or controlled by sin. And I don't know, prior to Christ, I can say I was very much dominated and controlled and enslaved to sin goes on here in verse 7 to say, for the one who has died, being Jesus, has set us free from sin. Wow. Paul makes it crystal clear that our relationship with sin has permanently changed. The old passion and evil desires that we once craved and that had a control over our lives have now been put to death. The control of sin has lost its power as a result of what Christ has done for us on the cross. John Stott, been reading him lately, as you can imagine, two quotes from him this morning. He says this, we can look at our sins square in the face and not see it for what it is sometimes. Is this not the American church? We become hardened to its power and its hold on us. We think that we can deal with it in some other way, but we are profoundly wrong. We cannot deal with our sin apart from the saving work of Christ and what he did for us on the cross. You know, I was, got the privilege to speak for like five minutes and I'm going to close up here um, during our Thanksgiving outreach over at the Salvation Army. And it, it, it's amazing just to see some people's response to that three-letter word, right? Sin. Like, some people kind of like get uncomfortable and kind of squirm in their seats, you know, and this lady, I was actually very happy. She was actually a heckler. I just gave like a kind of five minute presentation of how we're not disqualified or measured by our sin. And she just in the middle of my talk said, stop making it about sin. <laughs> I'm like, oh, praise God. Fortunately, there were other um, kind people who were like, shut up, let them speak. <laughs> you know, I was like, well, whatever. But, but I got to thinking about it this week. That's a profound statement. I think most of the church feels that way. We've, we've lost kind of the measure of our depravity, the depravity that Christ, like we, we try to like, 
Americanize the story of grace. I don't know how we do it. It's quite interesting given the scriptures. It's, it's, it's a phenomena, but, but, but it makes us uncomfortable, doesn't this three-letter word? But this word appears 448 times just in the New Testament, okay? Just in the New Testament alone. It ranks third behind one of the most used words in all of the Bible behind, of course, God, Father, and heart of all words, but God and Father certainly makes sense. But it's one of the most frequently used words and taught about theologies in Scripture. So do we use this to shame people? No, I, I hope you don't hear any shameful things in my words this morning. Are we going to use this word to kind of make feel people feel worthless? Like, I just don't measure up. I just can't. And of course not. It's not my heart here. But we need to connect and kind of understand, as I said earlier, the measure of our following, falling short, excuse me, and our depravity so that we can actually cherish. Right? This is, this is what, like, you the, the old manual, oh come, old manual song. I mean, just laced and, and filled with such glorious theology of our own rescue, of our own Psalms 40 type moment. And, and, and I, I am convinced that we won't savor and really see the grace of God and cherish it the way that we should if, if we are constantly trying to pacify and kind of put a band-aid on our depravity and our, our sinfulness. I, I, I just will go here. I really um, fall, when I see my falling short, when I see my own sinfulness, it doesn't shame me today. It doesn't make me feel worthless. It, 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 it actually does the opposite. It makes me want to lay hold of more of God's grace for that sinfulness. I, I used to let it beat me up. I used to be that guy squirming in my seats, getting all uncomfortable. But now I'm like, oh no, you're right. I did fall short. And I want to press more into the grace of God, more into the transformational power of God. And this is how this Christian thing works. We, we, we cherish and we savor the, savor the grace of God because we know we are sinful. We, we know we are depraved. And this is what is so glorious about this time of the year. It, it, it gives us a moment. It gives us an opportunity to reflect. It, it gives us a, a, a time to reflect that, that the whole story of our salvation started with God sending God the Son to the earth on a rescue mission for humanity. And it will all culminate when Christ comes again and we will never deal with sinful thoughts, sinful behaviors, sinful appetites. We will, we will be taken from, wrap your mind around that with me this morning, we will be taken from the, the presence of sin. Let us be reminded of that this holiday season. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus. And we thank you for what he has secured for us. We thank you for salvation. We thank you for the gift and the generosity that you had, Father, to send your son into the world so that none would perish. 
but all would have everlasting life. Jesus, we love you. Because of what you have done for us, Lord, we are now inspired and provoked to now do for others in some measure, to give, to be generous, Lord, to be sacrificial. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Lily Carly up to um, bring us a little further here, but I just wanted to give a quick update. Come on over, Lily. You probably want to use the other mic. Yeah, it's probably tailored more for, like, not effects on it and everything. Um, Briefly, just wanted to share an update. Uh, Nope, yeah, that one. It's okay. There's, like, four up here. It's kind of confusing. We had to kind of, if you were with us a couple Sundays, kind of... um, take a detour. Um, we were planning on working with the CHA here in Cambridge to uh, secure gifts for um, kids um, that live in that complex. And we weren't able to get the uh, Christmas list in time, so we kind of had to change up. And we decided to partner with a ministry out in Haverhill, Massachusetts, uh, Somebody Cares New England. Uh, and by the grace of God, we were able to raise our, our give this ministry. Actually, we didn't raise it. We just kind of sacrificially sowed it. Um, we sowed $500 to secure gifts um, for families that, that are in need. So we uh, got a bunch of gift cards. And actually, this church really manned up. I think over 70-plus gifts we um, donated. Uh, essentially, they reached out to over 200 or 300 people um, in the nearby um, city uh, that, that need um, services like this. They don't have money to put Christmas uh, presents under the tree. And so we were able to, with other churches, bless just about 300 families with, with, a, with a good quality Christmas. So very cool. And, and now we need to get, now we get to go a step further. Lily, will you let us in on the details? Absolutely. So there is going to be a slide behind me. But we have, if this is your first Christmas in Cambridge, I'm so happy you're here. This is like one of my favorite days of the year that we get to do together. So-